Our Christian Orthodox faith and tradition is what holds us together. This is an important element of continuity that needs to be taught and handed down faithfully to our children from generation to generation. Tradition is not about buildings that may become museum pieces in a hundred years or so if we are not careful, but it is something more concrete than buildings. It is something to be experienced and taught to our children. Welcome to Coffee with Bishop Suriel, a podcast for all things Coptic. This is a conversation about authentic Christian faith, Coptic history, patristic writings, the family, arts and music, religious education, youth matters, evangelism, and much more. Bishop Suriel likes his coffee like he likes his conversation, light, sweet, and scorching. We'll be joined by an array of guests who'll share their experiences, their backgrounds, and their insights to bring about an exciting discussion, and we hope you agree. Enjoy the podcast, and please welcome our host, Bishop Suriel. In this episode, His Grace Bishop Suriel will be discussing making Christ real in our homes. Here's His Grace. Your Grace? Irini Pasi, peace be with you. Our conversation this week is about making Christ real in the home. As Orthodox Christians, this is an important question. How do we make Christ real in our homes? It is so easy to just become Sunday Christians where Christianity becomes, to some people at least, something that we do on Sunday only. What about the rest of the week? Their ways, attitudes, language, and behavior may be far away from Christianity completely for some families. How then do we make Christ a central part of our everyday family life? That's what I would like to have a bit of conversation with you today. What makes it so difficult to bring Christ into our homes? Many of our Orthodox churches are relatively new outside of Egypt, especially the Coptic Orthodox Church that has only been abroad for 50 years or less. Immigrant communities that have sprung up in new lands, speaking new languages, and now living in new cultures. We come from a village culture to a suburban one, and I mean that in a in a very nice way. I mean that the communities that we are coming from are so closely knit together in comparison to, say, America or other Western communities where individuality is stressed. In such countries, you could live in an apartment block and not even know who your next-door neighbor is. This is unheard of in Egypt, for example. You can even minimize contact with people. Everything is so automated now for our convenience. You drive into the gas station and all you have to do is put a piece of plastic into a machine and you have your gas. Or now you can charge your electric car at home and socialization becomes more distant. And certainly our current pandemic has further exacerbated the fact. 
Even stranger than this is the internet. You can almost do everything on the internet these days and without saying a single word to anyone. You could live in your own little world inside the internet and do all your chores and buy anything you want almost and pay your bills. At the same time, the internet can be a great resource for us if used wisely. So what is this going to do to human relationships? How is it affecting the family? You know, even now with smartphones, right? People don't want to speak on the phone anymore, so the easiest thing is to send a SMS or a text message or a WhatsApp message or whatever application that they're using and get a response. So is the education that we provide able to adapt and deal with this rapid technology change that we have seen in the past 10 to 15 years? Well, this is not how our parents and our grandparents were brought up. This is a new challenge for them. They were used to walking down the street and people recognizing them and stopping to chat with them and catch up on the latest news over a cup of coffee, perhaps. They had time to relax and visit relatives and friends. It was a close-knit community. It was a huge culture shock when they migrated abroad. The children of these parents and grandparents are now being educated in a language that their parents or grandparents may not understand. Their kids and grandchildren are not only speaking a variety of foreign languages, but strange strands of these languages, predominantly English, that is mixed with the rap and pop culture of the 21st century. It is this culture that parents and grandparents find most difficult to handle and deal with. It is a new way of thinking, of dressing, of living, and speaking. Parents also face new challenges that are alien to them. What do they do when their son comes home with an earring in his nose or eyebrow, or with tattoos that were encouraged by his or her peers at school? What do they do when their daughter, who is 14, tells them that she is pregnant and has had an abortion? Some children may begin to rebel and do not want to go to church anymore. What is going wrong in such scenarios? I think that many of these problems are related to religious education or the lack of it. And no connection in the family and no connection with the church or it is superficial. Such problems may also be related to extremely busy lives that parents live in order to provide for their families. And so religious and spiritual upbringing and nurturing of their children goes by the wayside. So what was the goal for such parents and grandparents in migrating to North America, to Europe and Australia and other places? Many will say for a better future for their children. However, what if they lose sight of the goal along the path and they and their families do lose their religious identity 
and rapidly melt and disappear into the surrounding culture and society. I do not suggest for one instant that as Coptic Orthodox Christians that we need to live in ghettos, not at all. We need to interact with the society we live in and be involved. Yet, however, in a balanced way, have a positive impact on the society and culture we live in, based on our Christian and moral principles. Maintaining tradition and identity and our religious faith is very important, and especially in these countries where Copts have migrated abroad. Yes, we are different, but not because we eat different foods and because our clergy wear long robes and have long beards. That is not what makes us different. We are different because of what we believe. Our Christian Orthodox faith and tradition is what holds us together. This is an important element of continuity that needs to be taught and handed down faithfully to our children from generation to generation. Tradition is not about buildings that may become museum pieces in a hundred years or so if we are not careful, but it is something more concrete than buildings. It is something to be experienced and taught to our children. And I remember um, many years ago when I was serving as a general bishop in the tri-state area in New Jersey, New York, and that area, I remember a young boy who was four or five years old at the time whom I ordained as an epsaltus, or a, you know, in English you may call him an altar boy or a chanter, coming with his father to see me. The boy, without any instruction, was able to recite the litany of the gospel in full, that part which the priest praised during the liturgy. I was very surprised by this. His parents, by bringing him to church every week, makes a difference in his life. The child begins to have a sense that this is something vital in his life. He begins as he gets older, to have a sense of the community. He smells the incense, for example. He sees and kisses the cross in the hand of the priest. And he sees and venerates the icons. He hears the beautiful chants of the hymns in the different seasons and understands now that this is the season of Lent, for example, by the tunes that are chanted. This is now the Easter tide period with the joyous tunes, the tunes during the month, the holy month of Kiak, before the feast of the nativity, and so on and so, so on. And all of this has a deep impact on his mind and spirit and soul and life. He begins to know that this is St. Mary, that this is St. Anthony the Great, and that this is St. Ephraim the Syrian, for example. Tradition becomes something the child can touch and sense. It's something tangible. Now, this same boy has become a fine young man who is well-versed in the rites, hymns, and traditions of the church and has learned all the major hymns. 
and has strong faith and understands actually his orthodox faith very well. And certainly his parents have played a critical role in this. Faith is not something for men only, but also for women, who are an important part and an integral part of the Christian community. Maintaining our worshiping community for the whole family is what will assist us to keep and preserve our identity. Western culture, unfortunately, will not immediately provide this for us. We have to work hard, all of us, to preserve this. And we must continue to provide and encourage meaningful relationships to maintain strong Christian family values in a society where such belief systems are deteriorating rapidly, unfortunately. The dynamics of Western culture and society are constantly changing, whether it be the obvious political divide that we see in a nation like America or the influence of popular culture on young people and the constant introduction of new and strange ideas that keep pushing the limits of what is to be accepted as the new norms. Sometimes I give this example uh, that I call the frog in the kettle. If you bring a frog and put them in a kettle in some water at room temperature, the frog will be very happy in there. If after a while you increase the temperature just one degree, very quickly the frog will be able to adapt to this new temperature. And if you continuously, very slowly, kept on pushing the limit and putting up the temperature just by one more degree, because it is so small a change, the frog will still be able to adapt quickly. But imagine as this water temperature after a while continues to increase until it reaches to boiling level, what will happen to that frog? It will be completely fried inside of that water because it will be boiling. And I think the same thing what is happening in society today, that we are becoming desensitized to all these new ideologies and thinking one step at a time. Slow little changes. This is how Satan works and how he changes the mindset of people to make us to steer away from the teachings of the scriptures and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be aware of this and remember this story of the frog in the kettle that we are always sensitized by the scriptures and the word of God and not to fall into these traps of the evil one. All these matters and more do not grant stability in the family, and it is our Christian Orthodox upbringing that can give us certainty and stability in a faith tradition that dates back 2,000 years. In Newsweek magazine some years back, the question was asked, what is happening to the family? And here is a quote from the article, and I quote, The American family does not exist Rather, we are creating many American families of diverse styles and shapes in unprecedented numbers. Our families are unalike. We have fathers working while mothers keep house, 
fathers and mothers both working away from home, single parents, second marriages bringing children together from unrelated backgrounds, childless couples, unmarried couples with and without children, gay and lesbian parents. We are living through a period of historic change in American family life. End of quote. Even though that that quote, you know, was uh, some years ago, but I think it's still very relevant today and is the current situation. The Orthodox Church must be a beacon, a lighthouse that stands up strong on many issues and defend the truth and teach it diligently to our children in a non-offensive way. Such diversity as mentioned in the previous quote makes our struggle much tougher to hold on to Christian and moral values. I believe religious education is the key, or one of the important keys, along with our liturgical life and life in the church. So we can never separate uh, these two. We, they complement each other and complete each other. Our life at home and our life in the church. But my focus uh, today is about the family at home and what the role of parents are in the upbringing of their children. So another important question we need to understand or some important points is what defines our current generation of youth? They're called Generation Z or Generation Z. There are in fact five factors that define Generation Z. These are youth born in the mid to late 1990s to the early 2010s. This is uh, how we define Generation Z born mid to late 1990s, all the way to the early 2010s. So what are the five defining factors then? One is digital. Digital change is constant, it's ubiquitous, and it is fast. And the digital age, you know, is just changing so rapidly and, uh, you know, uh, transforming itself in so many different ways and developing so quickly. Two is global factor. Generation Z are our first truly global generation. Not only are the music, movies, and celebrities global, as has been the case for previous generations, but through our global connectedness, so are their fashion, their foods, entertainment, social trends, and communication patterns. Three is a social one. Generation Z are social in nature. If social media sites were countries, for example, Facebook would be the largest at 1.5 billion, followed by China at 1.4 billion, India at 1.3 billion, and Instagram at 400 million. Fourthly, mobile. This Generation Z is very mobile constantly on the go, moving from place to place. They are moving homes, jobs, and careers faster than ever before. Today's school leaver, for example, is expected to have 17 jobs across five careers and live in 15 homes in their lifetime. This was certainly not the case 
30, 40, 50 years ago in the time of our parents and grandparents. And finally, it's visual. YouTube is a close second global search engine and more than 100 hours of content gets uploaded every minute. Yes, 100 hours of content gets uploaded every minute. So if you were to watch just the content that has been put up this week, it would take you 115 years. Imagine this. All this information on Generation Z was obtained from the McCrindle Research Site. So you see, all this rapid change in the life of today's youth is affecting the dynamics of the modern Christian Orthodox family. All this interaction with information, new ideas, new friends, rapid movement between cultures and travel, is shaping the mind and soul of our young people, and not always in a positive direction. For example, the church and parents no longer have the strong influence on this generation of youth. The church and parents struggle to keep up with the lightning speed changes we are seeing that were almost non-existent a few short decades ago. If I asked the average Orthodox Christian family if they would allow a stranger into their house who had ideas completely different from their own, and perhaps even against the teaching of Scripture, would they let such a person into their homes? I am sure the response would be an emphatic no. Yet without realizing it, we have strangers living, let alone in our homes, but now in our pockets, that we let in voluntarily. Television sets all over the home, with so many different stations, smart TVs they call them, are dividing our families and disrupting value time with our children. And of course, in addition to that, are smartphones that have become the new extension to our arms and hands. The family, I remember a few years ago, I saw this video of a, a young uh, baby who had uh, an iP a, a physical magazine in their hand. And instead of the baby um, moving over the pages or flicking over the pages of the magazine, they were trying to pinch the pages because that's all they know now, right? The iPad, yes? And to enlarge or uh, make smaller uh, an image, you pinch or you expand. So a physical magazine, they don't understand what that is anymore. That's the world that we are living in. So yes, our smartphones and, and iPads, etc., have become the new extension to our arms and hands. The family may not even sit to eat together, but rather each one has their plate in hand and is sitting to watch their favorite program. If anyone would try to begin a conversation, they would be told to be quiet. We're watching our favorite television program or watching it on our iPad or uh, on our smartphone. It's interesting that some of the statistics from uh, 
my podcast, Coffee with Bishop Surreal, when I look at how people are engaging uh, with the podcast, mainly it is through these uh, smartphones and, and iPads. Hardly anyone will sit and watch it on uh, on television or something like this. This is now the new culture we are living in. So it has become our educator of sorts, all of these smartphones and iPads and all of this technology. Through the smart televisions and phones, our children and we are being brainwashed. These devices are projecting to us how we should dress, how much we should weigh, what we should eat, what is acceptable behavior and ideologies, how we should speak, and what is the acceptable dogma of the society today. So what is the norm? Who knows anymore? St. Antony the Great once said, there will come a day when the mad people will look at the normal people and say, look at these mad people because they are not like us. I wonder if we're actually starting to live in such days now and that this prophecy of St. Anthony has come true and to fruition. As Christians and as Orthodox, we have to educate our kids and ourselves in what to watch and what not to watch. However, now it has become more difficult for parents to control the use of such devices in the reach of their children. Despite this phenomenon, Parents need from a young age to engage in healthy conversation with their children on a daily basis and have regular and open dialogue with children on a whole plethora of issues and read themselves as much as possible, the parents, in order to have effective communication with their kids because they are being bombarded with, their children are being bombarded with all this information on a daily basis. And they'll have so many questions. And parents need to be up to speed as much as possible to be able to engage in this important dialogue with their children and give them the proper and important answers. And uh, not just give an answer, but actually uh, engage in healthy dialogue with their children. So we need to let the scriptures and our traditions set for us what is the norm. What is steadfast? Because this is, this is what does not change our faith, our scriptures. And this is what we need to hold strong onto and to teach this to our children and to understand what is truth. Sometimes we just follow with the multitudes blindly without stopping to think. These smart devices can be used in a proper way and we do not want to discard them completely as their use has become inevitable in our world today. What will families do with less smart device time? They can do many useful things. Families need to spend time together. The husband to spend time with his wife. The father and mother to spend time with their children. And the children to spend time with each other. This wasted time in front of smart devices can be used for prayer, for reading the Bible, for tackling family problems, and for inspirational dialogue that will build the character and personality of your children. I remember 
a friend of mine in New York, he would tell me that from a very young age that his father would have these wonderful conversations with him, would build up his personality, would give him books to read, and then he would sit and discuss what he had read, what he had understood, and have a healthy dialogue. I wish more and more families would do that in their homes and build you know, libraries, spiritual libraries for their children on a wide variety of topics, but not just spiritual books, but books on morality, on uh, history, uh, to have a broad understanding of the world around them. I think this is really, really important. So just being there for the rest of the family is so important in our day and age. Children and teenagers today are crying out for attention and affection from their parents, and they cannot find it sometimes. And that's very sad. Just to give you an example of this, once I was visiting a church, and after the service, the parents of a young boy came to speak to me, asking for prayers for the boy who was giving them a hard time, a bit cheeky perhaps. I began to give the boy some attention, and began to joke and play with him, and he was very joyful. I said to them, he needs your attention. And they said to me that we both work very hard and leave very early in the morning and come back late. And I understand this. And I replied, you must make some sacrifice for your son's sake if you care about him, even if it means working some less hours, even if it is for a few years until you lay some foundations during the boy's formative years. It was by this time that the young boy just gave me a big hug. And I said to his mother, you see, what he needs is some love, some attention, and some affection from you. And I want to speak briefly about the importance of formal religious education. In many of the countries that our parents came from, life was based on a village culture. The whole village or suburb taught it was a close-knit community where everyone knew each other. There were common beliefs and morals. There were strong family ties. You learned from extended family as well, from grandparents and aunts and aunties, who knew probably, who you probably saw on a regular basis because homes were so close together. The village or suburb was like one big family. The sense of identity was easier to hold on to since most of the people you knew believed in what you believed. It was easier to fast, for example, to pray, to attend church liturgy regularly, to read and study the scriptures, because if you did not do that, you would feel left out and not part of the community. In many Western countries, however, the opposite is true. Distance is one major factor. Your faith community is not always close by. You no longer have a sense of that village culture, and there are tens of different cultures and belief systems that you come into contact with that are different from yours. It makes it more difficult to fast when everyone around you at school or work are not fasting, for example. 
It is so easy to lose your identity and your focus if there is not that strong bond within the core family unit. How can we be proud of being American or European, Australian, and at the same time not lose our faith community? The religious education process is one way of maintaining identity. The Coptic Orthodox Church has a communal identity, and if this begins to decrease, we need religious education to determine, maintain, and remember who we are. The answer has to be religious education. This religious education is not just for the young, but I believe that adult religious education needs much more attention in our churches and dioceses as well. And also we need to differentiate between faith and culture. Sometimes when Orthodox migrate to Western cultures, they may mistakenly mix faith with culture. In their homelands, some customs may lend themselves to be part of faith, and this may be carried into their new environment. For example, in some Middle Eastern countries, youth do not leave their parents' home until after marriage, and this would be considered inappropriate if they do. Whereas in the West, young people often leave their parents' homes to study in faraway states. And the reversal of the education process is very important, a reversal in the way we think and carry out religious education at the moment needs to take place. Now we think of curriculum for Sunday schools and youth and how to teach children. What needs to happen is to educate adults first. If we have good, well-educated teachers, youth leaders, and parents, then everything else will follow naturally. It is at this time that we can educate our children and youth properly. What is the use of having curriculum with no one to teach it effectively? Sometimes I really wonder and think that many parents should be given a training course in how to bring up children in the fear of the Lord and be given a certificate when they have been successful in applying what they have learned. Good teachers and parents will bring forth a strong, faithful generation. Once this has been established, the religious education of children should begin from an early age, since children can learn very quickly then, and we do not want to miss opportunities to educate or to delay the education process till the later years. It may be too late then, and then may be, and they may be already set in their ways and difficult to change. The book of Proverbs teaches us saying, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Mentioned in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. We must also consider, what are we teaching? What is our aim in all of this? We must teach salvation in our Lord Jesus Christ. Nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, as mentioned in the book of Acts chapter 4 verse 12. 
to assist people to enter into a personal relationship with their Savior. This is what we should be teaching. We want people to live out and experience their Christian lives every day. And we do not just want Sunday Christians, but we want this faith and tradition to intervene and break into our day-to-day life. We must never lose this aim. And I also want to briefly touch on the importance of fatherhood. The role of fatherhood is integral to such a faith community. An author called Robert Griswold some time ago in his book titled Fatherhood in America speaks of the struggle of fathers over the past two centuries as breadwinners. Our Lord Jesus Christ asked long ago, if a son asks you for a loaf of bread, does his father give him a rock? The key word for our purposes is give. Christ did not ask if a father wins him that piece of bread. No, a father must give his son a piece of bread. There is a difference there. So sadly, fathers have moved from being bread givers to being bread winners. You give that which you have and you win that which you do not. Children and wives need that which a father has, not that which he has to gamble to win. The stakes are high. Not only do individual families hang in the balance, but also society and tomorrow are hanging in the balance. It seems we are losing the stability of clearly defined roles. Fathers must go back to being bread givers. They must give of themselves. Families do not need another vacation or another car or another computer. Families are sewn together in this one garment of destiny. They need fathers and they need them to be present in the life of the family. In the book of Deuteronomy, in the Old Testament, chapter 6, verses 4 to 9, which speaks about keeping teaching and handing down the word of God to one's family, is directed at fathers. And this is what it says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Yes, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. I wish that every family would print out these verses from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 9, and frame them and keep them in their living room and remind themselves of this important duty that they have towards their children to teach them the faith diligently. Fathers are the communicators of the faith. They have a vital role in educating their children, 
and it is not a job to be left for the mother alone. Research has shown that religious fathers generally bring up religious children. I will repeat that. The research has shown that religious fathers generally bring up religious children. It may be because they are a symbol of God's fatherhood and that they reflect God's authority in the family. Our Lord Jesus Christ tells us, The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life, as mentioned in the Gospel of St. John, chapter 6, verse 63. This is what we need in our homes, that the words of Scripture are not just for reading or memorizing, but more importantly, that they are for life. They are there in order to be put into action, to be lived by. Parents need to be teaching these words to their children. The amazing thing in the passage we read from Deuteronomy is that God says that these words should be taught diligently to children, not only on Sundays, but every day, and not when you have time, but at all times, and with great fervor and diligence. Our children are dying in front of our eyes every day, and we are leaving them to die. And I mean that they are dying spiritually. We are not caring enough to nurture them spiritually. And Christ is not real in such homes where this is, where this is happening. Christ's presence is not felt in the life of such families. I have seen firsthand through visitations I have made that are targeted at families that do not come to church and have little or no relationship with Christ, that the children are lost. And you can see clearly in most cases that the parents are the ones to blame. A father who may be a drunk and has not been home for years, or a mother that leaves her daughters to do as they wish with no control, I know it's not all the families, obviously, that are not not like this, but we don't want to lose even one single family. We want to see in every home that Christ is present and is real in every single one of our homes. So in such families, they are not really living, but they are truly spiritually dead. Why? Because Christ is not there. The only way to make Christ real in the home is for our homes to be like small miniature churches where we can find a life of prayer, a life of reading and applying the scriptures, a life of fasting, a life of love, a life of communication with all members of the family. A holy atmosphere where the young child grows and feels at peace, a home that is full of joy, full of hope where the child feels that there is love between father and mother, that there are parents who care and are interested in their children's lives and can sit and listen to them. This is how to make Christ live with us every day in our homes. We need homes with strong, mighty fathers who do not leave all of the responsibility of parenting on the shoulders of the mother or just to think that one hour of Sunday school is going to be sufficient to nurture their children. 
No, you have an important role. We need not go far to find a father who loves us. We need actually to go no further than the family Bible sitting on our collective coffee tables to see our Abba Father. He is the one who loves the world so much that he gave his only begotten Son. It is from him we can learn to be loving and forgiving and kind and patient and gentle and giving. So in conclusion then, our faith, religious education and strong Christian families are what will make us successful in achieving our common witness of Orthodox Church life in the West today. Let us be united together with brotherly love to strengthen and support each other. Please think to yourself, what will your churches be like in 50 or 100 or 200 years from now? Would you recognize them if you were alive then? Will they be steadfast and strong and have their sense of identity and faith? What will happen to the Coptic Orthodox family? Religious education and spiritual life at home as well as in the church is the key that will open the door to this journey that we will travel on together. So I want you to think during this week, how do you make your homes, what do you need to change in your home so that your homes are houses of prayer, houses of purity, houses of blessing? And how do you make Christ central and real in your homes in every single day. So let us pray together this week that we may have our homes as a safe haven, a small church, a place where every member of the family feels safe, feels at peace, feels spiritually nurtured and nourished in every possible way. Thank you, and God bless your homes, and until next week, be inspired by the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening to Coffee with Bishop Suriel, a podcast for all things Coptic. To join the conversation, please visit our website, coffeewithbishopsuriel.org, and always remember, the best way to start any morning is with God and a cup of coffee.